0: This is Ren Kinsey, Executive Vice President of People and Culture at Emerald and Advertising Week, and today on our podcast, we're speaking with Rafat Ali. Rafat is the CEO and founder of Skift, the most influential business media and information company in the travel industry. Welcome, Rafat.
1: Thank you, Ren. Appreciate it.
0: Global soul. I love that. What does that mean to you?
1: That means that I grew up between three different countries. I was born in UK, grew up in India, have been in the US now for coming up to 25 years and having a good sense of global cultures in different ways, having obviously traveled a lot myself personally. And so it's not accidental that I ended up doing Skift, which we'll talk about, but Everything I've done in my life sort of led me to the point where I had started this gift. And so, Global Soul is just understanding how the global flows work. I'm very keen. My latest obsession is understanding demographic patterns in the world and how that's changing and population decreases in many countries in the world and what that means for the future of the world, et cetera. And I'm a big fan of different foods around the world. I can't eat every type of food, but I'm very at least keen on understanding foods and how they affect cultures and how people think about countries and living, et cetera. So, yeah.
0: I love that. And I'm sure that type of awareness about different cultures makes you a more sensitive, intuitive leader in the workplace. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. And how we've built Skift is both in terms of what we produce and put out in the world, but also in terms of how we hire and what we want our team to be attuned to. Globally, how we do events, how we think about events, who we put on stage, all of it is very much attuned to not having very American centricism in our world. We're an American company. We're about 80 people we are from U.S., but now increasingly outside of U.S. And so, you know, a small example, every Monday we have a company-wide call, different teams talk about what they're doing obviously this was, this was done in person before COVID. Now we're a totally remote company and I know we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Our team used to make jokes about, I don't know, American football or baseball. So in, insidery jokes about American sports. One, I don't understand any American sports. So so there's that part. But also that if a good portion of people in on the call are not Americans, let not that be the inside joke that so many people don't understand. So that's an example of, and then trying to convince, and we can go deeper into this if you want, trying to convince managers to hire from different parts of the world has been a process, particularly if the, you know, if the managers are based here in the US, where the majority of the managers are definitely still based in the US. So making their minds open to hiring from different places has been a process. I think we're, we're there. It took us two three years to get there. Also, the thing we're blessed with as a company is because we cover the business of travel, which inherently is global. Like, it's not like, okay, I'm done covering US, I'm going to now build my business in UK or to this country, that country. It just inherently blends into each other. This is not true for every business sector, it's very true for travel. And so that allows us to have a global outlook. And so, again, with writing, whether it's stories or research reports, etc., we tell our editors, journalists, analysts, et cetera, to be aware of, of not having just an American lens on things because people from other parts are reading us. Our business has now diversified quite rapidly from just U.S. to certainly Europe over many past years, but also Middle East has become a big part of our business. India, we're opening up. And at the time this podcast launches, we will have announced our India conference and so india has become a big market for us southeast asia was pre covid we will pick it back up
0: we talked a little bit about pre pandemic post pandemic what are some of the challenges that you faced post pandemic that you normally would not have faced pre pandemic especially being in an industry where it got impacted the most the travel industry
1: yeah travel as you well said is was probably the most affected sector out of all everything was shut our business we went through, much like everybody else in travel, layoffs, we, had, we, we were 60 people prior, prior to pandemic, I had to let go one third of the team, The certainly one of the hardest things of a CEO will do, for no fault of theirs, had to let these uh, people go. And so, so that definitely hurt. About morale, etc. But everybody knew, like again, this was we were all in it together type thing. Or at least the people who stayed were there. Uh, the transition from in person to virtual. So we we quickly selected a virtual uh, software. So we use Basecamp. This and and people use all kinds of tools, Asana and and many other tools, Microsoft Teams, etc. We we chose Basecamp and we fully sort of dove into that as the virtual headquarters for the company. The point being that pick one, run with it and, and try to use the best you can. It doesn't really matter which one, honestly, they all are versions of each other and it really doesn't matter. It's just a matter of like, are you committed to it? Everybody should be in, and it has to come from the top. And so, so that was definitely one of the things I, the, 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 the thing you, none of us missed going to office. All of us did miss the office. And so, again, these meetings that we just talked about. About And then we, we also do conferences in the travel industry. So a certain subset of people, 15 to 20, uh, meet at, and different different people at different conferences are able to meet a few times a year too. So there are multiple touch points to a bunch of folks in the company. So so that has happened and has taken new uh, meaning as well we do miss coordination it takes more time it just does things that you could just talk in for five minutes in the corner of a of, of an office takes setting up a call and stuff like that so we're always keen on figuring out new tools to use even though i don't want to overload our team with using these new tools because every is just adoption is hard across the company and so so we balance between using new tools and then doubling down on, on existing tools and simplifying them. So certainly that's the case. As the company becomes more global, you know that certainly changed pre to post-COVID, there are different cultures. And this is, if I can humbly say so, the global soul does come in where I help decipher some cultures for different cultures. Like, oh, if people in India... Generally speaking, this I'm giving you just a broad generalization. Are more deferential to, to authority, while we have created in the US a sort of a very uh, open culture. How do you break those boundaries down? Or how do we adapt to that culture? And and so that uh, you know that particular example is a very concrete example of of. You know, a built inclusiveness for us, inclusiveness for us means making sure that everybody speaks and participates in things that they that we ex- we want people to to participate in. Again, different people have different temperaments on that, but also culturally, people have different temperament on it. So, you know, our HR, our executive team, our managers are very attuned we want them to be attuned we 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 push them to be attuned to these things of like make sure these people participate in these ways if they're not comfortable in these ways uh, so so i think those are ongoing lessons uh, that we have the we've we're fully remote company we're not going back to office there's no re- return to office mandate i'm so happy because all the stuff you read about like how hard it is and the hybrid. And I feel like hybrid is the worst of both worlds, but people have different opinions on it. We're fully remote company. We're not going back into office, by the way. I don't like the word remote because remote denotes that there's a center and people are remote from somewhere. I like the word distributed company, but nobody really understand what that means. So we just have to use the industry you know, short, shortcut one of the things we're learning and this is an evolution of us as a company that is now into year three of being a fully remote company and and we have different learnings now is that you don't one on the hiring side you can't just when you say you can hire from anywhere it really can't work that way it has to be certain hubs uh, because uh, because Time zones do matter. Like if everybody's on a different time zone, it's, it's a de- definitely a recipe for chaos. So for us, the hubs have become US, UK, and India for now. It looks like Philippines and Southeast Asia will become a hub as well. So those those three countries is what we now prefer to hire from, even though we do have people in, in some other countries as well. Uh, and then a relatively new learning that digital nomading is hard on teams and like if if a certain percent of a team is digital nomading and and by digital nomading I mean moving from one place to other living on Airbnb not having a fixed primary residence or if they have a primary residence not for a period of time in a year they're moving from place to place the young people particularly it is hard and so it's hard on the managers that manage uh, people who are digital nomading if, if it's a manager that is digital nomading, it's hard on their team. It's hard up and down. And so one of the th- processes that we've gone through a little bit over the summer and we will continue to figure out is how to put more structure to like who, who qualifies for digital nomading. What are the circumstances? Is it permissible through the year or under certain circumstances? So I don't, We don't fully know yet. We're still exploring that part. But that's been, I think, just a natural evolution.
0: I love that. And you're being pro-digital nomading. Is it because you're hoping that people will develop the same cultural awareness and empathy that you have through traveling and getting to know other cultures so that it's a little bit more authentic than let's say giving your team unconscious bias training or cultural awareness training? Because trainings are great. But if they're not being implemented and carried on or you don't have a CEO who actually believes in it, they're harder on to, to build into your culture, which we'll get to in a little
1: bit. Yeah. yeah, 100%. I don't think that's a direct thinking, but that's certainly an indirect consequence of, of, of that happening, uh, particularly the young people who, who are traveling from like not just within the U.S., where many of us are, but also uh, different parts of the world, Europe, Asia, etc., uh, so certainly that's, a, again, unintended benefit. It also, because we're in travel, we, we, you know, we're covering many of these parts of the world. So people are in those regions. Sometimes we're able to take advantage of it. If it's, if it's a research analyst or a journalist in another part of the world, they're able to cover events or industry there while being there. So there's, a, there's again, that part there as well, for sure. Absolutely.
0: You are actually against companies focusing on culture. Why is that? Tell us why this controversial thought process, how it became about and why you believe in it and what you believe instead.
1: Yeah, definitely the headline that I wrote this essay was a clickbait. But I'm a, I've am been a media person a long time, so I know how to get people's attention, at least writing. The intention, so I wrote this article, but we certainly believed in it. The one that you're referencing about the, the headline was don't create company culture. And obviously the subtext is create meaningful work first. And then culture comes as a a result of it. Culture happens whether you want it or not. One of the things of my previous company, I built and sold a previous company, uh, not in travel, was an accidental company. I was young and it it was a blog that turned into a media company. So certainly didn't have the experience uh, to, uh, you know, this was 15 years ago. People were less attuned to culture as much as they're now today. On how to create meaningful culture and so it accidentally just happened and i'm sure i made tons of mistakes there on that front with the with the second one the qual what i say what we believe in is that people really people don't stay for the culture they stay for the meaningful work people want to come if they see the quality if they our brand has become aspirational Sure, for being going on these retreats and all the other stuff we talked about, but primarily because of the quality of work that we we do. And people see it, like how different we are from other people who cover the travel industry or even us compared to other media companies and other industries as well. And our conferences are a manifestation of the quality of work that we do. Our, Our conferences become a huge magnet for us to, hire, recruit, uh, build culture for our company, as I mentioned, but also hire and recruit and onboard people Uh, we hire. We actually end up hiring a bunch of folks prior to our main conference, Global Forum, so that a lot of people are onboarded at our conference.
0: When you are creating meaningful work, what do you think comes first? Is it the why and the mission, or is it hiring the right people to do quality work, which then feeds into your why in a
1: Yeah, definitely knowing your center core first, meaning what does work and meaningful, what is quality? What's our stance on the world? How do we cover it? I happen to be a a former journalist, which makes me have a very editorial view on how we, we build this company, meaning we have a point of view going in from the top on what we want our viewpoint to be in the world in travel. progressive for all intents and purposes travels place in the world as a progressive force in the world the industry interconnects with every other industry and and historically has not marketed itself as a global force and so we totally believe in that part of it as a as a force for good primarily with all the challenges underneath it and so having that viewpoint informs the quality of work that we do and then attracts a certain type of people. One of the big red flags that we used to have pre-COVID when people used to come and interview for jobs at Skift is that, oh, I love the your office. Like it looks very startupy. And like that's okay. Like if you are attracted to whatever the startup thing you have in your head, I'm not that interested. I'm interested because of what you can Bring potentially to the company what you have done in the past, sure, uh, etc. But just be, or like people say, we love to travel. Well, great. Okay, uh, you you're going to be doing digital marketing, sitting in your uh, in, in previous to uh, in office. So sure, who's going to say they hate travel? Like nobody. And so that's again not a qualification in general. So those are some of the things that we 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 guard against and focus on. Uh, quality work. So going back to your original question about what do you mean by not creating culture? So we also think about like culture, not as, as this thing that comes at the end, that sort of breaks the drudgery of work, but something that, that evolves organically from meaningful work. And the fact that the work you want to be able to show to, to people who are doing this work for you, the effect, what that work has on the people who you're creating it for, which means people in the travel industry for us. Our events really function very well for that, for our team to be able to see, especially people that are behind the scenes that are not like journalists on the front end or salespeople at the front end of the company, that yes, the work that they create, people really appreciate and get benefit out of it. This is their feedback, positive or negative or constructive. And here's how we can get better. So... Our global forum, particularly the one in New York that's coming up, is such a great crucible to show to the whole company, look, this is the effect of your work on the people that you're creating it for. So we do, we, we're very particular about that part. And so that creates meaning into work, even though, you know, honestly, we're not changing the world. You know, we're a media company focused on the business of travel. We're not saving, we're not creating world peace or anything like that. But for the industry that we cover... It's very meaningful. It helps them be better at their jobs. It helps them create better companies. It helps the industry figure out a better way in the world and how to how to build our companies and industries and sectors. And so that's how we think about a culture, which is it has to come. It cannot be divorced from creating meaningful work.
0: So when somebody is applying for a job, you don't hire them because they love the office, especially not now. You don't you don't hire them because they love to travel because who doesn't? What do you hire them for?
1: This sounds so unscientific, but enthusiasm matters a lot. Enthusiasm for have you done your research? Have you done your work before you've come to uh, come to the interview or and follow up since uh, follow ups to us matter a lot. And this is where a cultural thing comes in. Follow up the more East you go, follow-ups fall off. Different cultures, a different sense of following up after an interview, like in the UK, it falls off from US. Less people will follow up. If you follow up in India, non-existent uh, because they, it's just not built in culturally into uh, into these cultures. There are obviously always exceptions. Uh, so again, we had to tell our team and we learn along the way that, okay, if they don't follow up, but we really like the person, uh, if if this if it's a sales job in US and the person doesn't follow up that's a problem because the whole point of sales is to follow up and so that's a no no so uh, so certainly we look for enthusiasm and initi- i guess initiative is the right word initiative is the right word uh, we really look for initiative and then one of the things that i've learned and it's still we sort of go back and forth on it is everybody says hot or at least the best practice is higher for potential, not what they've done in the past. It's not as clear cut as you know. I mean, you do this for a living as well. That's not clear cut. Like you are keen, if it's a senior position or mid-level to senior position, you are keen on what they've done in the past, how their performance has been. Sure, you want to see what the potential of what they will grow into is, but it has to be a a good balance of, of both. Obviously, if you're hiring more junior person, it has to be based on potential. And that's just, it's, that's what it is. But enthusiasm takes you a long way with Skift. I would take that over, even over talent.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about probably your biggest and most important job, which is parenthood and being a dad. I love that you talk about being an exhausted parent of two boys, and you don't shy away from being authentic about the challenges of parenthood. I think it's incredibly important for men to be able to talk about this. And I want to ask you, how do you balance being a CEO and a dad? And how do you manage to maybe not balance, but harmonize both roles?
1: Yeah, it's tough. In social media, you always present your best face. And people say, you have the best life ever. And then you realize the kids are, are like all over you and they're running and you're just frazzled and uh, we, we have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old boys, both hyperactive boys. Uh, the one thing that has happened that has really helped, again, this is where the remote work has really, really helped and attu- us attuned to the needs of the company. I mean, the cliche is always like things happen to you and then you get attuned to it for everybody else in your company. When my first son was born in 2015, and we were again small at that point, I became attuned to sort of families and what it means to create companies that are family friendly and 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 certainly that helped back then. Uh, and we've continued that. Uh, Post COVID, a younger one who we, we adopted during COVID uh, also made, made us attuned to attorney adoption. And we, we have parents in our in our company that that have done that. And also uh, we used to somebody told me this line that I've really latched on to. And I forget who told me this, but it used to be that before COVID, we used to fit life in between work, and now it's the opposite. We 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 fit work in between life. I have the luxury as the CEO. I understand this. I'm aware, self-aware, to be able to do that. Meaning, my job is not linear. My job, I'm able to do one from anywhere. Two, I can do in different times because I'm not, you know, writing a story day to day. Different. Not everybody in the company has that luxury. But the point is that. For us, we at all times were, and even more so now, continue to aim for balance between work and life. For me, the biggest compliment for somebody who's working at SCIFT is if they make their big life decisions as part of SCIFT. You get married, have a baby, buy a house, move cities, etc., whatever big milestone and personal milestone in life. For me, personally, that's very important. It denotes that we're doing something right, that people are confident enough to take these big life decisions as part of gift. So I'm attuned to that. Our company is attuned to that. Uh, we're particularly attuned to flexible work schedules. Uh, certainly they're all working wherever they are remote. So that is given. But even on top of that, requirements in terms of remote work, where I am, uh, very particular about people not working outside of their work hours, whatever time zones they're on. Everybody works in their own time zone. We try n- not to as much as possible. People in different countries work, say, on US time zones. Uh, not, we not, don't always achieve it, but at least if you have a North Star that you keep thinking about, uh, you won't, you won't get anywhere. So for us, uh, that part matters. Uh, one of the Other things that I've learned, particularly during pandemic, and this happened at a particular time for me personally, if I I remember October, maybe September, October of 2020, we'd gone through the first intense six months of trying to rescue the company, uh, COVID all around, uh, trying to manage, at that point, one kid, uh, virtual schooling uh, from home, Uh, my wife and I, that was overwhelming. And at some point, I had sort of a bit of a breakdown, unfortunately. And so I took two weeks off. And then also had the realization, I've since repeated it quite a lot, is that, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you know, there are three priorities in life. And in this order, it's you first, uh, your family and friends second, and then work third. And so, uh, so that was very meaningful to me. I, you know, you always sort of knew that, but, but it's just, it takes certain life events to make you realize that even more. And so I've repeated that. Again and again to our team, with the hope that that it continues to. We continue to remind ourselves. Certainly, I want to remind myself as well that it's you first, come family and friends second, and then work third. If the founder if the founder CEO is saying that, hopefully it permeates through the through the company. So, again, we don't always get it right. We do make mistakes. Hundred percent, we've made mistakes. But at least you got to aim for something.
0: I 100% agree with you that you have to put yourself first, and I try to encourage people to think of it that way, both in professional and in my personal life, and people always think it's a selfish way of thinking, and I tell them, no, it's actually the right way of thinking because you got to put on your oxygen mask first. I mean, we learn this if we are paying attention when we board a flight, right? Put on your oxygen mask first before you help others how do you prioritize you first? What are some of the things that you do to ground yourself so that you could then know that you could be in the workplace as well as for your family?
1: Yeah. Oh boy. I do so many mistakes there, but uh, one of the things that has changed. So my, uh, my father passed away in December, 2019 before COVID. And as happens, if you have a loss like that, you go through sort of a rethink and COVID hit right after as well. Uh, So, and I'm, I'm an older dad, so, we, we we had kids late in life. So all that means that the decision I made is that you have to take sort of hold of your health and that as a determinant of self-confidence and then what it means both in personal life as well as professional life. And so I became, for those of you who are listening, I don't, if you're in the US, you would have heard of this company called Orange Theory, which is a fitness fitness class. So I'm a fanatic for Orange Theory. Everybody in my company knows this at this point. So the that really changed my life in terms of personally having an outlet, particularly since you're not going to office, of a daily or at least three to four times a week outlet of, of take it all out there, leave it on the floor type mentality. And so one that helped a lot in my physical health, fitness levels, and also just mental preparation. Again, with two kids that you have to run around and 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 take care of, and so that helped a lot as well. So, so that certainly is is there. In terms of mental health, I I have an intuitive sense of of where, when my brain is like at its full, and 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 I don't want to push it to the to the breaking point, and so resets in a year, whether it's taking a vacation. We, we do this, my wife and I, around our anniversary, which is end of Jan. So uh, we leave the kids behind and 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 typically go on a vacation just on our own. Or we, we go to India every year with, with family, my family's from India, my wife's family, extended family's from India as well. And our kids, we want to be grounded in the culture. And so we just came back in August uh, from a month-long trip to India as well. So that helps, again, ground us personally, me personally, on it. And obviously kids and family ground you all the time from just the dailiness of, of work. And so I stopped going to evening events. I went to an evening event yesterday and I I was thinking this more. I was telling my wife after I came back, like, please tell me next time I'm going to an evening event. Like, Rafat, why are you going? You hate it so much. So I've stopped going to evening events. I don't, I've made a deliberate decision not to travel as much for work. We travel for our own conferences. I do speak at different conferences in the travel industry, but not as much as my company. I've, this is a, a conscious decision I've made. My company, my company probably would have been 15% bigger, more advanced, whatever, further along. Had I had the luxury to travel as much as I want, do the business meetings, relationships building, everything we could have done. I've chosen not to do it because, and you may remember this, there was a sort of a viral thing a few years ago on, and it it, it was an article that, when it, that became a book on like the wishes of the dying. There was a nurse that that documented what, people who are dying she used to take care of people that are in in palliative care on uh, what they talk about and so somehow that's stuck in my head is like when i'm on my deathbed this is turning morbid but 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 i have a is like what am i going to be thinking about like am i going to think about shit i should have gone on that business trip or something completely different and it that has interestingly become like a quick thing in my head that I repeat to myself quite often, sometimes even daily. on like, really, should I be going to this? Is this what I'm, what I'm gonna remember, uh, you know, whenever, however, whenever that's gonna happen. So I think those are some of the, that's how I think about a lot of these things.
0: I love that. So finding movement that gives you joy, saying no more often, especially to night events or traveling too much. And making time with family
1: yeah yeah and still being freaking as ambitious as humanly possible for for what we do as business yeah that it's we, we don't always achieve the balance but certainly that's what i try
0: and you are also on the board of the international women's media foundation you mentioned that you were you were in journalism uh, prior to being the CEO of Skift. Can you please tell us a little bit more about what the foundation stands for and why it was important for you to get involved, and maybe how the listeners could also get involved in this foundation?
1: Yeah, so International Women's Media Foundation, iwmf.org, a great organization that I've known for many years. It's focused on women and now non-binary journalists around the world and their unique challenges of covering all, t- all sorts of issues but particularly difficult issues wars and social issues and uh, yeah just tough political situations and stories and stuff so so it does a lot of work in terms of funding so it's a-profit based out of DC but it's really global that funds particularly freelance projects that end up in mainstream media these are female journalists that are writing on different Issues. Great example. There's a there's a, there's a large issue of in indigenous U.S. communities of women disappearing. This has been a thing that New York Times has covered and a bunch of other media has covered, but there isn't sustained coverage of 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 count of all the all the women that have disappeared over the years and then follow-ups and what happened. So so IWMF is funding in Arizona. This project—it's a very important project—and that will have sustained coverage uh, of this issue. And so that's a great example of, and it has. IW, IWMF was very involved with the Afghan female journalists and their uh, extrication when Taliban took over last year, and I, IWMF was 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 very deeply involved in that part. Uh, so, uh, so that's an. Uh, it's a very. It's a great mission. I'm a even though i'm an ex journalist practice wise once a journalist always a journalist and so i'm very interested in and i bring a, a bit of the global connections global soul part but also having an understanding of media entrepreneurship and and helping iwmf think about how to help women journalists in these entrepreneurial projects because each of each of these typically freelance projects are entrepreneurial projects or even startups in this space. And so, uh, so hopefully that's what I bring, but also that's what I'm interested in as well. And also I'm trying to figure out how to help travel companies be involved with I- IWMF as well because it has a parallel mission of information being more freely accessible and people being able to, journalists being able to do their jobs better. Uh, and so... The way people can get involved is they can go to the site and donate as part of that, but also they do something called the Courage Awards, where the IWMF does honor different journalists. They've done in Philippines and Afghanistan and U.S. and other parts of the world as well. So these are fundraisers for the organization itself. And so... Those are some of the ways and I'm very passionate about the organization and I'm relatively new to the board about, I think six, eight months, maybe a little more than that, but I really believe in the mission.
0: Thank you. And as we wrap up our conversation, what is one advice you would want to give to our listeners or maybe an influential book or something you read, something you listen to, or something that you carry on with you throughout your life. As a global soul, a CEO, and a dad.
1: Yeah, I mean this is personal as well as business advice. uh, Sorry, career advice, I suppose. Uh, Business advice too. Is I think like life. I know we all think like life passes by quickly. There's value in patience. Like everything has, life has a long curve, particularly in terms of career building, and. There's value in putting down roots in a company if you really like the company. And if if, if the jobs that you're getting, you move from one job to the other and it's fulfilling and you, there's a progression there, the company has to be responsible enough to be able to to nurture people's careers. And if you're getting that from a company, you know, one of the unfortunate things that has emerged is a lot of young people in different cultures react differently to this, jump from one job to the other. As a way to obviously get more money and totally understood with all the issues in terms of cost of living and everything. But there's value to putting roots in the place. And there's a term that Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi he was doing an interview and the interviewer asked him about three advice for young people. And one of the things that he talked about was this concept of career compounding which is a concept that he took basically finance compound interest, which is you, you you do small savings and that add up to a big amount over a period of time. And he took, he's, he's, he's applying to careers where if you put a root in a place and uh, really give it the right amount of time, hone your craft, X amount of time later, five years, six years, 10 years, however long you're in this job, you're exponentially ready. You're ready for any exponential jump from there. I'll give you. This is. I'll give you an example in our company. My chief of staff. I'll give you this very concrete example. She. This was one of her first jobs. She joined when she was, I think, twenty three or something. And she, she was in a sales role, uh, sort of a junior sales role, and has progressed through in the last six, seven years in our company. And. Earlier last year, I was, hire, I, was well, I, th- I had a thought of hiring a chief of staff. I've never had an assistant, but a chief of staff as in somebody as an extension of me, uh, that internally as well as externally. And one of my first reactions was, "Oh, we should hire somebody externally." Because, and then, uh, Jason, my co-founder, said, "Why don't we talk to Anne?" And uh, I said, oh, "That's a good idea. She's been here six years. A big part of chief of staff role is." having the confidence of people inside the company because they're, they're standing for me. And it is worked out brilliantly. She's been doing this six months now. And the point being that she, she could have moved, you know, after two years to some other job, probably gotten more money. Sure. But as the chief of staff, seven years she's put in now six months into this, she's basically one step away from C level and will in the next jump up, whether our company or somewhere else be at the C level so that's my advice is don't be so impatient in your career, especially if you're young and early in your career, because you're putting roots somewhere while some people would think stagnation, but if you're progressing that job, we'll pay dividends many times over on the other end of it. So that's what I would say.
0: I love that advice, especially if you root yourself in a company that wants you to celebrate all of your milestones, your, your life milestones with you. Which is from what I Which is which is, key is key exactly what you shared with us. Thank you so much for your
1: time. Appreciate it. Thank you for thank you for asking me to be here.